This is Negotiate X Podcast, show number 19, part B. I've always found that I get my most success by pushing the question why about everything that anybody ever talks to me about and asks me about or, or was it involved in. Like, why did you kill your wife? Because I was angry. Why were you angry? Because she did this. Why does her doing that make you angry? And, and keep going, why, 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 and figuring out what is the actual source of what's going on here? Because that's what we have to get a hold of. And that's where you're going to grab your hooks from, too, like we talked about earlier. So I, I think in any situation, any kind of crisis, you assume that, that, that persons, people are telling you the truth when they're talking to you and that, that, that whatever they're going through in life is, is, is a crisis to them, then you, you need to get to the root of why that is a crisis. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. In today's show, we are going to continue our discussion with Mike Baker, who's a retired LAPD SWAT crisis negotiation team officer. If you didn't get a chance to listen to part A from last week's episode, be sure to do so before listening to this episode. There, Mike talked about being thrown into his first negotiation, truly understanding what active listening means, and developing a thirst to learn more skills to become a much better and diversified negotiator. All right, enough from me. Enjoy part B of this show. Another thing we so often talk about, Mike, is you know the power of review. And I remember the first time meeting you and, and talking about the work you were doing. You shared about this, this program you'd been part of where you would go in and, and into, back into prisons, talk to people uh, in a kind of a debrief situation that you had negotiated with. To find out what worked. And I mean, not only did that so well mirror kind of the army's after action review process, but it really struck, I thought, at, at, the, at the core of the idea of as negotiators, kind of regardless of industry, do we review our negotiations? And I, could you tell us a little bit about like what you were doing and what you learned through, through that program? I accidentally ran across a detective that was assigned to the uh, department's uh, mental evaluation unit. That was her job. It was part of their program was to go follow up on people. And these were mostly mentally ill people that were, you know, booked like 5150 um, and, you know, unable to care for themselves and stuff like that. And they, and they were they were taken into custody, put on 72 hour holds or whatever, and then returned back to their neighborhood or something like that into their homes. And they would have to do welfare checks on these people to see how they're doing, make sure that they hadn't since the time they got back into their homes. A uh, you know, obtained a, a rifle or a pistol or anything like that and, 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 you know, make sure that they didn't have anything dangerous around the house and find out how their life is going, whether they're on their medications and things like that. And I was talking to her about it and, and you know, kind of a light bulb kind of came out of my head and I thought, well, this is kind of interesting because um, we run into a lot of those people in our SWAT situations. They're involved in crimes and not only do sometimes they get housed in mental facilities, but they get housed in prisons and, and, and you know, in, in psychiatric wards. And uh, they're in custody there. 
or sometimes they're just they're not mentally ill at all. They just it was a crisis that, that put them in prison. And but but SWAT responded. And I, I will tell you honestly, and I, I don't know how it works for you in the military when you do this, because you guys are doing like a fantastic job and something that obviously they didn't do when I was in the military. But it, you guys you guys are so much smarter and you figured out that it might be interesting to talk to people. I thought was, wow, what a novel idea. And, but we, we, <laughs> we went, we went to these, um, I thought, well, can we start looking at these people that we had uh, were subjects of SWAT calls of barricades of crimes that we went, that SWAT was called out on that we negotiated on and talk to them and find out what their perspective was on the negotiations, what their opinion was about, you know, what happened, what we could have done better, what we did bad, what we did that caused them to stay in there longer and made us have to tactically resolve something, you know, kick a door down, explode a door or something like that and go in and make an explosive entry versus just having them talk them out, have them walk out the front door and drop the gun. And in those situations, why did you do that versus, uh, you know, wait for something else to happen? I took a lot of negative feedback from that in police publications. They would publish us. Do you remember the New York Times did a story on us? They put that in a couple of the police magazines and things like that, and people read it. And the feedback was like, "Yeah, right. Now we're going to start listening to criminals, you idiots. You know what? What are you? You know what are you doing? That SWAT team, you're doing this." And I'm thinking, okay. So I had to deal with the machismo garbage that you know that you know the the, the typical you know I joined the police department to be a you know to shoot them up, bang bang. I wanted to go after you know the uh, John Dillingers of the world, you know the the. the the Mansons of the world. And, and, you know, I'm not talking to anybody. They're all bad and they're all evil. And all I thought was, you know what? I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I mean, I think there are some people where tactical intervention is the only way to go, but why not listen to these people? Even if you sit down with them for an hour, you know, and all you get is one minute of something that might be helpful to you. That, that to me was a success. Um, it was something that, that, that I could cause me to do my job better as a negotiator they, a lot of times they spew a lot of uh, a lot of garbage, you know, a lot of anti-police stuff. And and a lot of them are under the influence. and They don't even remember what happened, the things that happened. But if I can get anything at all out of it, then I consider it a positive thing. And and honestly, we got a wealth of information on these people, a lot of stuff that was very, very helpful. A lot of it that, that I threw out that I will agree with people that, that, that you might consider that a waste of time. But the minute that I get something positive, it's no longer a waste of time. I, I don't mean to, you know, ramble too much on this, but but my logic was... Aram, it was that there is a certain component, percentage of, of, of negotiations of being successful that is that is basically luck. It's just plain luck. And then there's talent, and then there's the way you do the job correctly and stuff like that. That's that's part of it too that's involved. But to to, to, to say that there's no luck involved, I, I'd be lying because there's luck. There's luck. There's a lot of luck. You know, um, sometimes you just say the right thing and boom, and you didn't even mean to do it. You did. You know? Or sometimes people just say, the heck with you, you bore me, I'm tired of talking to you, they walk out, you're just lucky. But what I wanted to do was minimize that percentage. I feel if you go into negotiations thinking that you're, you know, that you're going to win because you're a really lucky guy and 80% of the time you're lucky and you end up winning, um, you're, you're, you're in for a, a rude awakening. So the more you can lower that percentage and, and increase the amount of knowledge you have at, at doing the job correctly, uh, you have a better chance of being successful. So I, my goal was to always was to do everything to, to train, to teach, to to read books, to go to seminars, to go to the West Point negotiation project, everything to get as much information I can to lower that 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 luck quotient, to go into a situation with more skill than luck, a better chance of you know winning. That's that was the whole point behind it. So Mike, talking about you know just learning and being prepared. You know we we so often learn from failures. Are you able, would you be willing to share a time when, you know, 
your negotiation team potentially learned learned a lesson the hard way through failure? Yeah, I, I can. Um, I, I can talk specifically, I think, first off, about a, a situation that involved, I think, a failure of the unit, which I'm obviously part of, so that it would be a, a failure, too, for me. I uh, was not a negotiator on this incident. I was a tactical team member, but we had a, an individual who was barricaded inside a, a residence uh, with his wife and uh, his uh, daughter. And it's Christmas Eve. And they, they got into some type of argument that day that caused the wife to stab the husband. I believe he got stabbed in the hand by her by scissors or something like that. And his response was to uh, basically beat her and then threaten her with a gun. So uh, she was held up inside the home with the child. And the call went out um, to, to us, to the SWAT team, to respond as a barricade incident with possible hostages inside. We deployed tactical people all around the, the location and negotiations were established uh, inside the residence with the suspect over telephone. I don't, I can't testify to the, the actual conversation going on between negotiators and the suspect. I assumed it wasn't going too well because we were getting together a tactical plan that we thought might have to be initiated quite quickly because we were worried about the, the health of the, of the two uh, hostages inside because it seemed like the relationship was deteriorating, uh, deteriorating as well as our, um, I guess our connection with him was also deteriorating. So um, we felt that it was gonna be time to tactically intervene. So the end result was an explosive entry was made at the front door. He was taken into custody. Uh, simultaneously, we uh, broke out and flashbanged all the openings from the outside, inside. We had narrowed down the location of where the, the wife and the baby were, and I was on that location where we made entry into that window, into that bedroom. Actually, as we went in the window, he was coming into the into the room because he was running from the front door. He saw us coming in the window and turned around and ran back the other direction and was taken into custody by SWAT people coming in the front door. So he was taken into custody. We you know we rescued the the, the child and, and the mother, and it was it was mission accomplished. But then again, um, this wasn't the least I, I guess uh, intrusive way of, of, of handling the situation. Negotiations would have been a better way, and and I had the privilege of having to go to, to get to go to prison and talk to this individual who was in in prison uh, for that particular incident, and find out exactly what went on between him and the negotiator that that he felt went the wrong direction and caused him to stay in and resist uh, our our request to come out and peacefully. And basically, the, the the most important thing that I learned from that discussion with him, and and again, this was. Uh, uh, I would say probably a rare instance where the actual person that we had the discussion with was not only not under the influence of drugs or alcohol, I mean, he was totally sane, could make, you know, I would have thought rational, reasonable decisions in, in a situation like that, even though his emotions might get the best of him at times. He had overheard a lot of the talk that was going on the outside and the inner perimeter that, that our SWAT team had on the location. We were pretty close to the location, mainly because we were preparing to make entry into the location. And, you know, and to, you know, to minimize the amount of time it took for us to get in once the explosions and, and, and breaches started occurring, uh, we needed to be right up on the location. The problem was the people that were up on the location and, the, and their houses next door, including the rooftops and things where snipers were on, uh, were very, very close to this location. And the conversation basically uh, had to do with uh, SWAT officers having their Christmas Eve with their families interrupted by this idiot that was inside this house. And the conversation went on and on about, you know, uh, all the different things that they were talking about. And I was on that outside perimeter, although I wasn't engaged in the conversation, I, I knew better not to do that. Um, there were people that were, and I overheard some of their conversation. 
And what he was relaying to me was right on. It was what was going on outside. He knew what was going on outside. And really what happened was he knew that there were a bunch of people out there that didn't really care about him, even though he had a negotiator on the phone trying to tell him that we cared about him. He had a bunch of people standing outside the, uh, his house who were on the same SWAT team talking negatively about him. So he's kind of torn with, you know, believing what this negotiator is saying and what he's actually hearing, you know, in real time on the outside of his location. Yep, yep. Uh, that that kind of communication destroyed any type of negotiations we, we had going at that time. So I can't really blame negotiators on that. But I learned that inside and no, nowhere in a debriefing after that incident. And we're, we were a professional, you know, we debriefed everything afterward. Did that subject even come up? Never even thought about it. You know, it took into consideration the fact that this guy could have overheard half the things you were saying. So that, that was a huge learning experience for me. So regardless of whether people thought this was a negative thing to talk to people, that was a positive thing that I took out of that conversation. Um, but it was definitely, even though it was a success, when you look at it in paper, because everybody got out okay, except for the suspect got a little roughed up, you know, and injured from the explosive uh, entry and things. Everybody was, you know, was rescued safely. But a lot of things happened that didn't have to happen and that involved, you know, court dates, lawsuits, um, you know, trials and things like that. You know, that we all won in the end, but could have definitely lived without. And they could have gone either way, some yeah. of them. Who knows? Now, Mike, it's a it's a nice example of being a you know aware of our surroundings. What messages are getting sent? Are there mixed messages? Uh, you know, if you have multiple people involved, uh, the, the sheer capacity of that or you know of of that sort of an operation where you know it's not just the one negotiator on the phone and there's all these other things going on. Uh, how how challenging that can be. Kind of a last kind of question. I mean, you have volunteered as a crisis intervention counselor, uh, you know, on, on the contact care line. We, we see today, you know, a lot of, you know, more, it seems like more people in crisis, whether it's soldiers suffering from PTSD or it's some of the, you know, even kind of psychological effects of, of the last year and a half with COVID and, and, and folks having been kind of, in, you know, in lockdown and some stuff, quarantined. So I, I, my, my sense is that, you know, we're going to, some of us in our day-to-day -day life, whether it's in business or personal life or wherever we're at, are, are probably interacting with people, you know, maybe not full-blown crisis, but maybe on the edge. What advice do you have for us for how to take some of the things you've learned over the past, you know, 30 plus years now um, and say, how do I apply some of this in, in my kind of day-to-day life? Wow. So I, I guess the rumor out, rumors out that I'm a wizard. I'm not. Um, I don't know if I can do that one for you really, really well. Let me um, let, let, let me say that I, I think um, there's a couple things that you touched on that are important that I think we need to be aware of if we're in situations like this, especially if we're de dealing with the current generation of, of, of people right now. And I, and I don't necessarily. I, and this isn't a negative thing to say about them at all. It's just something that that. Um, that I, I see a lot in negotiating and 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 in crisis intervention with 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 people uh, of this generation, whether they, whether they be soldiers, um, not so much in, in in that line of work as much as students and, and and kids growing up too, and they're entering the business world now too. You know, they're coming out of college and they're taking these positions, and and, and you know whether they're in business or not, you still have to negotiate with them. And um, they there's a there's a thing that I see with this generation where there, there's not a lot of face-to-face -face communication anymore. You know, people are texting people, people are emailing people, people aren't doing face-to-face -face kind of stuff anymore. 
when that kind of stuff occurs, they have trouble communicating. They have trouble dealing with it. I think, I think uh, that is something that we need to be aware of when we negotiate with people. Sometimes it's, it might be easier. I think a lot of the crisis lines right now are, are putting out, putting together text lines that a lot of them have. In fact, contact care does it as well. Put a lot of emphasis on, on doing suicide prevention through texting because that's what kids are comfortable with. I don't, I don't know that I don't, I don't like it. I think I do the best negotiation. I think anybody would do the best negotiation face to face because uh, then you can come across if you're, if you are a sincere, sincere person or trying to come across as that way that you're going to sell yourself a lot better than through a text and communicate a lot better. I think that's a problem with COVID. I think that's a problem with masks. We're not seeing people anymore. We're not interacting because we don't even get the face anymore. We don't, we don't see the expressions. We don't, um, uh, whether it's just everyday, day-to-day work stuff. I see it on airlines. That's why a lot of the fights and communications occur on the, on the aircraft because people just don't realize how people are reacting to things because they can't even see their facial expressions. They have no idea. They don't know how to deal with them or deal with what's going on properly. I think people need to be aware that a lot of kids nowadays are growing up and now they're adults and stuff like that, and they were raised in an environment where they didn't ever have to experience losing. And I think in the military, that might be a big deal too. Um, loss of life, loss of all, all kind, loss of friends, loss of things in, in general. And in the real world, there are losers. In the real world, um, everybody doesn't win. And to step out into that environment as a youngster who's never been, never experienced that kind of thing can be very, very difficult uh, to handle. So you have to know that. You have to understand that. You, you have to realize that our crisis, what we consider a crisis, is different than what they might consider a crisis. We might look at that and go, that's nothing. That's just, that's grade school stuff. But to them, it's the end of the world. It's like life-changing stuff. It's like decisions between life and death kind of stuff. And it amazes me sometimes to hear that, but I believe that it is in their mind. I think the awareness around communication modality is so important. And I'm like you, Mike. I I would prefer, you know, face-to-face with someone and I have to recognize that sometimes it's not feasible and sometimes it's not preferred by the other person, by the other person. Right. right? And so, um, I mean, if my right. goal is to be successful, right. especially as you're talking about, you know, people in crisis, meet them where they are. Um, and I think that also kind of the, you know, what you're saying about um, what they, what someone else considers to be a great loss and to show whether it's um, give some grace there or sort of, you know, that's, it's, that it's different than that, how I might quantify loss and, and be able to, you know, to be able to appreciate that. So I think it's, I think it really is, that's very helpful uh, advice. Aram, add one thing. I, I, I've always found that I get my most success by pushing the question why about everything that anybody ever talks to me about and asks me about, or, or was it involved in like, why did you kill your wife? Because I was angry. Why were you angry? Because she did this. Why does her doing that make you angry? And, and keep going, why, why, why? And figuring out what is the actual source of what's going on here? Because that's what we have to get a hold of. And that's where you're going to grab your hooks from too, like we talked about earlier. So I, I think in any situation, any kind of crisis, you know, like I said, if, if you if you assume, you know, if you assume that that Persons, people are telling you the truth when they're talking to you, and that, that, that whatever they're going through in life is 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 a crisis to them. Um, then you you need to get to the root of why that is a crisis, and and that that's the way you fix it. You don't deal with you know what's sitting there right in front of you. You go back 
backward and find out what caused it in the first place and, and deal with that part. And that's how you fix it. So I have always, no matter how trivial thing, things might seem to me, you know, you know, that people talk about them thinking, why, why would you want to, I'm back in my mind thinking, why would you want to kill yourself over that? Why? And then I'm thinking, well, it doesn't really matter to me what my opinion is about it is I want to know why they want to do it. And I, and I want to know, you know, all the steps that got them to where they're at right now. Um, and, uh, so I, I think that's a, that's a, a key to, to being successful in just about every negotiation. I, I didn't, I just, something I was thinking about there. I don't know how, how important well, that I is, but it's I, really to important. me, it's really on, on that note, I, I think that's really summarizes, uh, you know, so much of this conversation. And I, and I got, I just want to say again, thanks, Mike, it, you know, um, appreciate you so greatly, uh, appreciate your work over the years, uh, appreciate you reaching out and uh and joining us today so thanks for taking the time i'm going to pass it over to um to nolan to kind of take us into wrap up yeah so appreciate it mike this is a podcast that is all about taking action and it's really about helping others elevate their influence through purposeful negotiation so kind of wrapping up today's uh episode i wanted to ask you what's one key takeaway that you think that you could provide to someone who wants to become a better negotiator and um, with all the experience that you've had in negotiations, how can they be successful in business and life, you know, what have you with negotiations? Uh, back to where I, I was talking earlier, Nolan, about, you know, experience is the greatest teacher. Um, obviously, that sometimes is, is a, <laughs> a haphazard way to go about learning something. Um, if it's not that way, it's, it's the next best is role playing. And I'm talking about even role playing You've got a big negotiation coming up in the business world and a contract thing. You you role play with your wife, have her play the the person the, the other person. Um, do your best to come up with worst case scenarios and see how you'd handle those. I, I would say I think I read somewhere something about how these prosecutors would always take in in training the, the position of the defense attorney all the time and try to get you know all the best questions, the, war, the things that you fear the most that you would hear from somebody. Get those out there and hear them before you get in a situation. You have to hear them and be prepared to answer them. And 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 so I'd say always. I, I always and I, I know my wife would probably if she could hear this. She'd say, "Don't tell them that." But I always would play worst case scenario on everything <laughs> that, I, that, I, that I ever got in because then I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't act surprised, and I'd be able to move on and try to handle that. And I'd be already prepared. The other thing is to watch things like your podcasts, to read books. I can't overemphasize. I can't at all about educating yourself. Read everything, even if you know. Read it, even if you can't even understand it. Read it, put it down. Don't read it again. Read another book. Read everything on negotiation. Read everything that everybody's ever written on negotiation. You're allowed to keep what you want to keep that you think is important, that you think might help you, and throw away what you don't. You know, and the author is not going to take it personally. He's not even going to know. Read everything. Go to every class. Educate yourself. And that's what I did. And. Um, and you walk into a negotiation then armed with everything you need to, to win and to be comfortable in that negotiation because you've read it all. You, you can walk in there with a cocky attitude of knowing it all, but not show that. But in the back of your head, thinking there's no way in the world that somebody's going to trip me up on this one because I've read everything. I've done my homework. And it's just it's as simple as, you know, studying for a test when you're in school and going in and taking it and, and feeling good about it. You know, not feeling nervous because, you know, you're prepared. And the way you get prepared is to read everything, watch everything on negotiation, listen to your podcast, listen to things that Aram says and stuff in his in his uh, presentations and stuff, and um, educate yourself. 
come with the tools, man. Like yeah, we I talked think about that, earlier. That's, that's an awesome point, especially for negotiators as they work to improve their game. So I'll turn it over to Aram for a key takeaway. The importance of building trust um, and the things that myself or others may be doing uh, that, that may reduce that. I think that's important. And the other one I would take, uh, again, just so many from today, but the other one, I, I love the intentionality in the review process and the willingness to really learn. And, and if that's something that uh, crisis negotiators can, can do in practice, uh, that's something we all should be doing in our negotiations is what's working, what's not, and let's fix it. Yeah, I think my key takeaway from this episode was when, Mike, you had said that you were able to really get an active listening, even if you were talking to a child predator, someone who you obviously weren't necessarily able to connect with before the conversation, but during the conversation, you at least were able to connect with to get to some sort of um, objective, and that was to so that they would not kill themselves. So um, I thought that was extremely powerful and something that definitely tells me that I need to improve my uh, active listening skills to be able to disassociate like that when, when I need to. So, all right, well, Mike, thanks for coming on to the podcast today. Really appreciate you sharing all of your experiences and um, definitely we'll have to have you back later to, to bring out some more stories. Cause I know we only touched on just, just the tip of the iceberg. And I know there's a ton more that you'd be able to share and give us some great insights into. So thank you very much for your time and to the listeners Appreciate you uh, listening to this episode. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. 